Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks and Move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 181. Well, just ahead, how monkey smuggling just cost one company $250 million. And will the real CEO of DocuSign please stand up? And democratizing software analytics with the CEO of Alteryx, Mark Anderson. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with Era. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use, customizable interface. That's Era, A I E R A.com. And you can listen to the Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, not least iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. But hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss a single show. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We're going to explain the business stories behind some stocks that are moving around. Joining me to help me do that is executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac. Hey, Corey. How's your week? How was your Thanksgiving? Great. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving food a little bit. Yeah, I can see With one of the stocks on which we'll drill down. But we had a great time uh, gathered with some friends here in San Francisco. Had a great big meal and uh, uh, all the kids were back home and it was a great time. Nice. Corey, what stocks are drilling down on today? With that Thanksgiving theme, why don't we look at Hormel? Hormel trades under HRL and shares have fallen 5% this week, but uh, HRL shares have gained 12% over the past 12 months. What's going on with Hormel? So Hormel, of course, the big company that brings us um, uh, lots of pork products and and other things like Planters Peanuts and Smucker's Peanut Butter and and Jenny O Turkeys. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, reporting earnings, as you mentioned, stock down this week uh, pretty, you know, dramatically after uh, uh, concerns over the cost of turkey. That's right. Thanks. Did you have turkey for Thanksgiving? We did. We had a nice turkey. How about yourself? We you didn't do like the full on. I was watching, I watched a lot of football and, and there was much discussion of turducken, which looks just disgusting. Turducken. What is turducken? It's like, it's is a turkey a vegan with turkey? a chicken and a duck all in, all cooked inside of each other. Wait, what? You, you, you've never heard of this? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, we had uh, 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 Joel Oliveranes, the Aliota family, hosted us, uh, and we had turkey, we had uh, steak, we had um, fantastic pastas, uh, um, uh, great salads, just terrific, great food. A turducken, good company, and no turducken. Wow, I guess I've been but living in, with my head so, in the sand. Uh, the things I learned doing this show: it turns out turkeys and chicken have different foods. Guess okay. which food is more expensive? Turkeys? Do you want to guess why? That is correct. Do you want to guess why? Um, what they eat more? <laughs> I have no idea. They have, well, turkey, a, they okay, have a more so refined turkeys, diet. Turkeys eat more protein oh, than chickens. Okay. Chicken feed typically has 15% to 15% protein uh, in the chicken feed. Turkey feed, however, has 20 to 25% protein. Protein is almost always the most expensive thing at your dinner table, mm-hmm. unless you're at my dinner table. Why wouldn't it be? It's going to be the wine. 
But uh, but uh, the protein <laughs> is the most expensive ingredient at your um, uh, at, at at anyone's table, um, and, and and when you're picking what kind of poultry to grow. Uh, to feed, well, turkey's more expensive. So the increase in turkey food prices and a rise in the avian flu um, led to a, a more difficult uh, time producing turkeys, buying turkeys uh, for the Hormel Corporation. And as a result, uh, they had to guide for lesser revenues and earnings in the next six months than someone Wall Street had expected. That's where the stock is down. But the rest of their business is doing really well. And this gets to something we've talked about a handful of times in the show these last few weeks, which is that companies are raising prices because they can. And right. as they increase prices, including in food, uh, including in things like pork, still a very important part of the Hormel business, um, that pork business, the rest of the food business uh, is doing very well because they're able to jack up prices even as their costs go up. They couldn't catch up with the rising cost of turkey food or turkey feed. Feed, yeah. Turkey feed. turkey feed, yeah. You're from the Midwest. Yeah. Do you think Did we you raised feed turkeys, turkeys growing up? No. <laughs> In any case, Hormel. <laughs> oh, wow. Pork's still that's an important a, that's part an of assumption. their business, and at least with the pork business, they're uh -huh. seeing end markets responding to higher prices, and they don't seem to have a problem charging those prices. Here's CEO Jim Snee. Pork is still a very important part of our complex complex as you as you described you know and you know for for us you know we think that pork still represents a great value to consumers um, you know as, as we're looking into 2023 and, and markets you know markets although we expect some moderate relief are still going to run well above five-year averages and you know we'll, we've also seen a, a lot of volatility you know, throughout the last several years. And that's what we really have talked about is, you know, it's not so much the, the point to point, but some of the volatility that occurs. Um, you know, the other thing that we're watching very, very closely is the export element in terms of what's happening with, with pork. You know, so one of the things to consider is, you know, as, as turkey prices are higher, we're seeing, you know, bone-in hams be exported at an accelerated rate. And then the other thing is, you know, just thinking about the continued labor challenges that are out there. And so, you know, one of our key inputs across a lot of our business is pork trim. And if the labor's not there to do the necessary boning to get the trim, then we're not going to see that relief. So there are, there are a lot of variables at play. But, you know, we know that there's things that we can control. We know that, you know, our brands are going to remain strong. The work that we're doing to drive that demand is, is very successful. Um, and now we just need some of these other variables that are outside of our control to, to play out more favorably for us. They need other variables outside of their control to play out more favorably. Who doesn't? Yeah, take a Who number. doesn't need more variables outside of your control to play out more favorably? You know, I'm looking at pictures of Traducan right now. You've sent me down a rabbit I'm hole. I'm so glad you're focused on the show. Yeah. Uh, wow. Wow. Who thought this up? I, I hope it wasn't John Madden. Oh, God. The late great. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at DocuSign, my neighbors here in San Francisco. 
DocuSign, a friend of the show, DocuSign uh, trades under D-O-C-U, shares have climbed over 6% in a week. But if you look at a 12-month chart, not so nice, Docu shares have tumbled 81% in a year. So here's the question. Who is the CEO of DocuSign? This doesn't seem like a tricky question. Uh, they have changed CEOs. You mentioned a friend of the show, Dan Springer, uh, yeah. who's an old friend of mine, um, uh, who I've not talked to for the story. So I want to sort of, am I biased? Yes, Dan Springer and I used to play basketball 20 years ago. Um, but uh, uh, I like the guy. He was the CEO that took uh, uh, DocuSign public. He left the company uh, in the, over the fall. And the question is, what happened when he left the company? So the company put out a press release saying that he left the company and the board had... Uh, and he agreed to step aside. But there was a, a footnote in an SEC filing uh, a few weeks ago um, that caught my eye over the, over the holiday. And I apologize if, you, if anyone's heard the story, but I think it's barely been covered. But Dan Springer, the former CEO of DocuSign, has sued DocuSign for putting on an SEC filing saying that, that he was dismissed and he was sort of good with it. Um, the hmm. board uh, that dismissed Dan Springer after the stock uh, collapsed so massively they put out a release um, saying that uh, uh, that, the, that they were going to reduce themselves uh, to nine members which, without including Springer. They announced that Springer had agreed to step aside on June 21st as CEO. And the chair of the board, Maggie Wildrotter, would replace him on an interim basis. They've hired a guy named Alan Thigason as their new CEO, which they announced in September. But Dan Springer filed suit saying that, uh, in fact, the board didn't have the right to get rid of him. And that he wasn't okay with it. And the board lied when, in fact, they made that change as saying that he didn't have any problem with it. So uh, there is a big dispute raging here about who is the rightful heir to the throne at DocuSign right here in downtown San Francisco. And so uh, on the most, I went back to the most recent conference call to kind of look for clues about this, uh, this drama unfolding quietly at the boardroom of DocuSign. And here's what interim uh, CEO Mary Agnes Wilderotter had to say about how she was managing things as the acting CEO and how suggesting that it was different than Dan Springer had managed things. So one of the things that we're doing differently in enterprise and what we've done before is I have, um, you know, after running a Fortune 500 for many years, I have a very large network at the top of the house for big enterprise customers. Uh, and I'm opening doors at the CEO level of those companies, um, which also allows us to get in front of the top leaders of the company, i.e. the executive team reporting also to the CEO um, with the CEO's help. And that is uh, an ability for us to accelerate going in and, and looking at an enterprise agreement that's end-to-end -end for multiple departments at the same time versus just to land and expand in one certain department. Um, and we give that visibility to those leaders um, and would be able to get agreements that, that have more use cases when we get started. Because we also find with our customers, the more use cases they have, the less likely they are to, uh, to leave you know, DocuSign or to take business away from us. It really makes them very sticky. So she's basically saying, well, you know, people are signing up because I'm a really good CEO and they're signing up with me and I'm the key to the sales here. It's very sticky. Um, she, anyway, she's not there anymore. Um, uh, Thigason, a uh, guy came from Google, is the, is the CEO now. 
But uh, what happens with this dispute with Dan Springer could be very interesting uh, to see what happens over the the rightful heir to the DocuSign throne. Yeah, maybe uh, Dan will come back and uh, tell us his side of the story, then we'll get DocuSign's side of the story. It's interesting. I know where he lives. I might be able to make that happen. Corey, what's your next drill down? I'd like to look at a company called Innotive. Innotive uh, trades under No TV, N-O-T-V, and shares have tumbled 71% in a month and are lower by 88% a year. Not a happy time at N-O-T-V. Now's when you ask me, what does Innotive do? What does Innotive do? You know, I'm so glad you asked that question, Mm. Isaac. They're based in uh, West Lafayette, uh, Indiana, um, that the thriving metropolis that is West Lafayette, Indiana. Um, and they, if you look on the uh, SEC filings, they say they provide drug discovery and development services to pharmaceutical, chemical, medical device industries and sell analytical okay. instruments to the pharmaceutical development and contract research industries. What it doesn't say uh-huh. is anything about monkeys. No. But the no, reason you, you the didn't stock say the word collapsed, monkeys. No. The reason the company lost $250 million of market cap in the last week or so is because of the illegal import of monkeys. The uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of Florida in Miami charged uh, a number of people with prime, international primate smuggling, specifically the Ooh. smuggling of wild, long-tailed macaques. Those monkeys smuggled uh, with some government officials in Cambodia and unnamed in the indictment. Two of the people involved were employees of uh, of Innotive. Do this I, company uh, do I need uses. A, what are they, oh God! What are they doing with these monkeys? This is awful. They test drugs, right, and other things on monkeys and beagles. Beagles, the dog. Yes. So I'm assuming they're running a beagle farm? Yes, they've got uh, beagles and they've got monkeys and they're testing drugs on those animals. And they have been, uh, in May, the Department of Justice sued uh, a subsidiary of this company under the uh, Animal Welfare Act, um, uh, citing violations um, of the way they treated these beagles. Uh, I read some of the reports and they would the USDA would go in and apparently find Beagles kept in poor conditions or beagles that had diseases that had, weren't being treated uh, appropriately. Um, and then thousands of these dogs apparently are ending up in shelters, according to Reuters, um, uh, after the Virginia facility uh, of uh, subsidiary of Notive um, uh, has been for- forced to sell some of these dogs. Yeah, what and the government inspectors um, say they found is, oh, God, this is stuff from a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is not... Yeah, let's, yeah. And, and monkeys. And it's caused the stock to absolutely collapse from about $16 a share to about $6 a share uh, recently. Um, it is a business that was growing pretty fast the last few years and from a revenue basis, although still losing money. But the company now facing some, uh, some issues, at the very least, um, because employees uh, uh, conspi- allegedly conspiring with members of the uh, rogue members of the Cambodian government to smuggle monkeys out of that country and to the facilities of Innotive. Um, and so the company, why would they do wow. this? Why would they smuggle the monkeys instead of buy the monkeys, Isaac? You're wondering? Yeah, you know, right. it's, that part. it's like you're reading my mind. Because monkey prices are going through the roof. You thought inflation was bad where you live. 
Well, monkey prices have been a problem for this business, and to get around it, apparently, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office, they've been smuggling the monkeys in illegally. Um, uh, in the SEC filings, they, if you search for the word monkey in SEC filings, actually, check this out. If you search for the word monkey in uh-huh. SEC filings, yeah, you will find thousands of uses of the word monkey over the course of the last, call it, 20 years. If you search for the word monkey shines, monkey find, shines. What is find it? Two usages of monkey shines in the history of SEC filings. One of those SEC filings I wrote. <laughs> I wrote an SEC filing when I was. I don't hedge have fund. a response to this. And we were we were we were trying to change management of this company. And uh, uh, among the concerns with this company were their related party transactions, where the company was paying the CEO and the CEO's family. And I wrote that the company's list, uh, this is an SEC filing that I wrote in apparently in June of 2005, I wrote the, the list of related party transactions reads like comic monkey shines. So let's get back to a, no, a notice. My, my, my boss dared me to put that word in an SEC filing, so I did. In any case, here is a, here is a um, uh, citing the problem of rising monkey costs on a recent conference call. Here is a Jeffries analyst, David Windley, asking... The note of CEO Bob Leisure, yes, that's his name, CEO Bob Leisure being asked by analyst David Winley about the escalating prices for monkeys. Are you still seeing pricing escalate um, for, I guess, the, you know, the pricing for, for monkeys has gone up a tremendous amount. And I guess I'm wondering, is that still escalating or is it more at an equilibrium now and then you, you know, I appreciate you said you don't see supply increasing. I'm hearing that, you know, maybe some some breeders are coming back online in the Philippines and some other areas. I'm wondering if you're seeing any of that. We've not seen it yet, but um, come to market, but a, somebody coming back online and breeding and then having something to sell is going to be a three to four year process. Um, so I'd and we will, you know, I appreciate you mentioning that. We'll, we'll look into that. <laughs> uh, we've not seen that. To, we've not seen that to date. Um, and as far as pricing goes, um, I believe the pricing is uh, staying fairly healthy. I believe it's going up and, and uh, early indications. We've, we've, we've got some indications that pricing may continue to go up. But uh, I think, again, that's something that we'll know more about in the next 60 to 90 days. So that was a conference call on August 10, 60 to 90 days later. Yeah, they sure do know something more 60 to 90 days later. They know that two of their employees have been indicted for monkey smuggling. This is just a depressing, depressing story. Stock's down to about 160 million market cap. Yeah. There we have it. Do you think um, that's depressing? Let's talk about <laughs> software analytics. No, no this is actually a great depressing. conversation. Yeah. Really interesting conversation with the CEO of a company called Alterix about mm-hmm. software analytics and, and how people are using software to find information about their companies that they didn't, didn't know was right at their fingertips. Mark Anderson joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. 
All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As we promised, we are joined right now by Mark Anderson, the CEO of Alterx. Alterx. I'm saying it wrong. It's, it's Alterx because, although it's spelled Alter YX, because it's Alter YX, yes? Alter Y and uh, Alter Y and X, yes, exactly. It's pronounced Alterx, but uh, you can call us whatever you want. Just don't call us late to dinner. Uh, well, we, we ought to call you to buy some of your software. What, what problem is your software solving fundamentally? Well, I think right now, Corey, we solve a pretty important problem. I think you know companies have woken up in the last year and realized that, you know, the with the uh, the pandemic issues, the supply chain uh, consequences that that followed, you know, rise in inflation and the prospect of of recession, companies are realizing that they've got to make better data driven decisions and you know, using human beings to work with manual software like like Excel is something that happens in every business, every government around the world and it's just not fast enough and it's not automated enough. So we've actually made the digital transformation journey. The hardest part of that, I believe, is getting going. We take people that are those spreadsheet jockeys and we turn them into citizen data scientists with a very powerful software engine that uh, we're trying to get in as, hand, as, in as many, uh, people's possible, many hands as possible from people. So is it, is, it, is it a dirty word to call this business intelligence? You know, I think BI is a, is a pretty broad superset. You know, we if you think of BI, there's a whole bunch of things that have to happen in that in that kind of kind of that journey. We're the start of that. We allow you with our software to take data from almost infinite sources, pull it onto a canvas that's really familiar look and feel, and then really transform that data so that you can put it into the format that it needs to be to be able to apply analytics against it. And then we also built hundreds of analytical tools so that those spreadsheet jockeys can really become data ninjas very quickly. Uh, it's an interesting um, uh, skill set that uh, that work because it, it affects so many more people. I find myself doing things, trying to do analysis of data that I never thought I would have to do, and here I am totally. trying to do that. Uh, and it's and and what a wonderful skill to have. Well, it is, and and it's like you know I think companies have realized you you, you can't teach a data scientist how to be a good accountant or how to be a good supply chain person, but you can teach a good supply chain person or accountant how to do something automated with data. And you can do that with Alteryx. And, and fundamentally, I guess it's because they understand the inputs, right? They're not just numbers. They understand exactly. sort of how a business works, which is the fundamental concept of this, this podcast itself is understanding how businesses work, not understanding stocks. Totally. And it just allows companies to really democratize analytics uh, so that, again, the people that really do understand each of the functional areas, and it really goes across the business. It's, you know, sales operations, marketing operations, HR, you know, all of these functional areas, we've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of use cases that really help automate what were previously mundane manual processes. And you're doing about 550 million in revenues on about a $4 billion market cap. Yeah, that was that was last year. Uh, right. Wall Street expects us to do upwards of 800 million this year. So we're growing pretty handily. We just actually posted our Q3 results today or yesterday. Uh, we grew uh, Q3 75% year over year on the revenue line. Just fantastic. Um, to yeah. what do you ascribe outside of excellent performance and superior leadership? <laughs> what do you uh, to what do you ascribe that uh, that growth? Well, it's definitely a team sport. I think, you know, I've only been CEO for two years here. This is a company that's 25 years old now. Uh, the software, first of all, is amazing. And and the team that I've built has really got the stage experiences to be able to take that software and 
modernize it, so move it to the cloud so that anybody can use it from any device anywhere. And, uh, and I think just also the fact, to my earlier points, that the world has really woken up and, and realized that they do need to be able to make better decisions faster. And, and, and they have to do that with data because it swirls around the enterprise and most companies aren't taking advantage of that. And uh, your and your software is known to be a little bit easier to use than some of the other things. I don't know. If, I, I I'm not attesting that to be a fact. I'm, this is just yeah. what I've read about the company and, and other places that you tend to be more on the entry level of this kind of software, and, and ease of use is a big part of that. Which I which I can imagine yeah, it is very has difficult to, to maintain. It really has to be. You know, it's a familiar look and feel. It looks like the canvas itself looks like it's a Microsoft Excel canvas, so it's really familiar you know, drop down menus, uh, drag and drop icons. And it takes, you know, really a couple of weeks for people to become quite sophisticated with, with the software. So, so we think it had to be that way. If you really do want to democratize analytics, you've got to make it easy to learn and, and, and try to make it fun. And, and if you listen to any of our customers at our, our customer conferences called Inspire, I mean, they love it. They talk about you know, putting Alteryx tattoos on their biceps. They talk about naming their kids middle names, Alteryx. Uh, you okay, know, they, that's they love child the abuse. Impact that's child abuse, I'm just going to say. <laughs> exactly. Those people should be reported right away. Um, <laughs> so I, I would also imagine on the back end, data is more standardized than it used to be, or is it not? It, it sure is. You know, I think we've seen with the, with the likes of Databricks, Snowflake, uh, you know, certainly the three public cloud players have big environments for, for data, but you can't just jam data from all the different sources that exist today into those environments. You've got to prepare and pipeline that data so that you can do something with it. And, and that's what we do. It's the beginning of the journey, if you will, but it's it's something that uh, you can't, you know, can't, do not pass go, do not collect $200 if you can't do it. Well, and, and, and I, I should say also, back to my point about your design, I mean, Gartner is a is whatever Gartner is, but you know is widely respected as people who do customer polling really well, and they and they rate you guys really yeah. highly in terms of or the, the people they've polled find that the design uh, is favored uh, fantastically compared to your competitors. It is, and I, th I think that goes back to the you know twenty five years of of development. Um, you know, we just we just have to make it e even easier to get fingertips on keyboards, which is why we're you know, moving our software stack to the all three public cloud environments to make it, you know, dead easy for people to, uh, you know, to ideate that they need uh, a tool like, Alt or a set of tools like Alteryx and then, you know, get fingertips on keyboards. How do you figure out who you're selling to? Like, how, where do you start to find a focus to go after a new customer set? Because I would imagine the learnings you have from one, a handful of customers can quickly spread to others, but you got to pick the industry to go after. Yeah, we do. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, when I when I took over two years ago as CEO, I think we had very much a bottoms up uh, approach selling to analysts. You know, here, Corey, here's a license. Here's two extra. Go tell two friends. And my experience is, is that works until it doesn't. I think uh, it is great technology, but the people that are making the decisions on these big transformation projects, functional, departmental transformation, digital transformation, they're typically the C-suite. And so we've, you know, we've kind of refactored our, our go-to-market to really sell a you know, more enterprise class top-down. So today we talked to line of business leaders, CFOs, and, and certainly the CIOs of the world that need to make sure that, that these, these tools are, are governed across the enterprise so that we're not breaking any rules. Um, and again, industry focuses, are there certain industries you go after one after the next or, you know, what's the, what's yeah, the focus you know, in terms of growing the market? 
It's pretty cool in that, you know, I think every industry in the spectrum uh, needs to do something better with data. There typically tends to be bigger spending industries, certainly consulting and accounting. You know, the biggest accounting firms uh, are all among our biggest customers. Same thing with the big consulting firms. They're using Alteryx to help their practices, you know, with their customers. And so, but also like banking, financial, financial sector, you know, insurance is, is like the original gangster of data, right? They, they built the whole actuarial science uh, space, and 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 they're a massive uh, you know, vertical for us as well. You literally called them the OG. Okay, uh, <laughs> is that because you guys are in Southern California? Why uh, you would, one would expect a company of your type to be in Silicon Valley, not down in uh, Irvine, California, where you are? Well, we actually have we have a presence in uh, in Silicon Valley, but uh, you know the company was started by a couple of people that were based here in Newport Beach, and. And so they wanted a headquarters close to where they lived. Uh, Dean, our founder, is still on the board, and Libby's one of the co-founders. She lives here as well, and and she still has a functioning position at the company, running our education initiative. Well, and, I, and I've been to Newport Beach, and I've been to Silicon Valley, and I can just say, eh, not the worst decision you've ever made. I know it, it certainly doesn't suck, but it, it did rain last night, so I think everyone here is going to stay at home. Stop the presses. A shocker. Um, <laughs> yeah. As the company uh, goes forward here, what are, are acquisitions an important part of your ability to sort of either jump into new markets or or, or jump onto sort of new technologies? Or is the, the nature of your software, because design is so important, that adding on new features and adding on new, uh, even new companies makes it really um, uh, not prohibitive, but unattractive? Well, I'll tell you, in the past, it really hasn't been a big deal. But just in the last year, we've made three acquisitions. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, this is a really fragmented vendor landscape. There's plus, you know, four, plus or minus 400 companies that, that are out there. A lot of them kind of sound like they do the same thing. And, yeah. and uh, but I'll tell you, nobody does what, what Alteryx does as well as we do. And so, you know, we think uh, the hyperscalers are going to take, you know, share by trying to make acquisitions, you know, Salesforce bought Tableau. Uh, Microsoft bought Power BI, Google bought Looker to try to get into the you know, data and analytics space. Um, and they're going to take, you know, I'd say the mid-market and below because I, I think large customers, large large government, they don't want to put all their eggs in one basket per se. So our thesis is that in, in, in like most markets, platforms win. And so, you know, that's why we, we, we bought a company that was our replatforming option to go to the cloud, Trifacta, made that acquisition in January of this year. We've made a few other, you know, aqua hires or technology tuck-in type of acquisitions that really, you know, allow us to deliver more functionality. And over time, you'll see us organically and inorganically build more capability onto this platform because the customers I talk to, they all want fewer vendors, less complexity, and more automation. They want platforms. And in, in most markets, you know, public cloud operating systems, uh, enterprise SaaS, platforms win. And, and so... We think there's permission for independent companies to roll up market share by building platforms. And I figure who better than Altrix to do that. Couldn't agree more. Mark Anderson, CEO of Altrix. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. Cheers. All right. Coming up next on the podcast, we're going to have the bite, that one number that tells us so much about Altrix right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to the Drill Down on your smart speaker. Ask your smart speaker to 
play the drill down podcast. You can just imagine what happens after that. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at drill down pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot about Alteryx. And Isaac, uh, uh, CEO, mentioned to us about the fantastic growth that they've seen uh, in the last quarter. Uh, 70, Mark Anderson talking about the 75% year-over-year growth. Uh-huh. But uh, recurring revenues for any software company so important and huge for this business. So uh, here, uh, uh, that recurring revenue number, again, they did $216 million in revenues in a quarter. Yeah. How much is that? How much of that is recurring? Well, uh, if uh, on an annualized basis, and here's that number, $758 million are recurring. And that's up 31%. That's so really a healthy adding number. To that base, that's, that's why Wall Street can pretty quickly and uh, pretty easily get to that number, expecting over $800 million in revenues for the year, because they've already told us that $758 million of it's recurring. They'd have to really screw something up in the short term and not hit those kinds of numbers. Um, but this, this business intelligence stuff that uh, so many more people, people like me, who never thought they'd be in the business of, of uh, doing data analysis uh, on, a, on a very deep computer level are doing it because it can be done. Is that, is that number why he mentioned these guys are getting tattoos of the company's logo on their biceps? <laughs> no, I think that's more about the user experience and how much they just love it. I was like, okay, who are these guys? And what do their girlfriends think about that? Or boyfriends, hey? Well, we use, I guess a gay we guy use recording software Squadcast. I say that as a gay guy. <laughs> um, and so Squadcast, wait, look, look at my, I don't know show this. I do not want to see your bicep. Wait, that's actually not right a bicep. There, I'm not sure what that is. It says Squadcast right oh there. See that? <laughs> oh, no, well. Doesn't. I'm glad this is audio All right. only. All right. Thank you for your time, dear listener. We do appreciate it. Our executive producer is Isaac Webster. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson, and the Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network.